Balls. He's a libertarian in chief. This is the libertarian chief chat. Just a libertarian chit chat with the chief. Oh, hey, I'm Kevin. I'm here too. All right. Welcome to Chief Chats with Kevin Hobby and Todd Hagopian. I'm Kevin Hobby. And I'm Todd Hagopian. And we have a very special guest today, a former competitor and current friend, Joshua Smith. Josh, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. How's it going, Todd and Kevin? Thank you guys so much for having me on. First of all, foremost, you know, I'm a big fan of both of you guys, so I'm happy to be here. Uh, and my mom says that I'm special, so I'm glad that you guys agree with her. She's wonderful. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm the perennial LNC chair candidate. If you, if you haven't been following me for the last four years, I mean, you know, I, this will, I'm now running in my third uh, uh, race for, for LNC chair. Um, you know, I, I was a publication guy first and, uh, and uh, I've been on the national committee now. This is my second term. So I'm learning a lot uh, politically, um, but you know, I'm, a, I'm a Mises guy. I'm a, I'm a Rothbard guy who, who came to Liberty through way of anti-war stances and I'm just happy to be here, man. Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah, on that topic, how about uh, we start like we usually do and you talk a little bit about your path to liberty, because I know you've had a pretty interesting one coming from your veteran background. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I I uh, joined the military right after 9-11. Um, you know, I, I was uh, essentially a homeless kid uh, living on the garage floor at my cousin's house and uh, woke up and saw the, the Twin Towers burning and I was going to go and fight the uh, the devil terrorists that took out my countrymen, you know? And so I joined the Navy cause I'm really not that tough. And, uh, <laughs> um, within six months of being in the military, I was, I was in the Persian Gulf on the USS constellation. Um, my battle group was the biggest part of the shock and awe campaign. If you are familiar with the shocking awe campaign, yeah. really what that translates to is millions of tons of ordnance on a city that has families and, and, and goals and family pets. And I mean, it was, it was pretty ugly. And, really jaded me to the military industrial complex. I didn't even know what that word was at the time. Yeah. You know, this military industrial complex. I just thought I was doing, doing my service. And, um, I, I just, I really got jaded. And so when I got out of the military in 2005, uh, I kind of floated around. I was a registered Republican, but I, I didn't really see a home for me in the Republican party. Uh, they were definitely not anti-war. Um, they were, I was starting to really be against the drug war. Um, they, they, they never mentioned, you know, I started, I had started reading some books and I, they never mentioned the federal reserve and, and they had these insane budgets and they kept passing them and um, you know, taxes weren't going down. And I started kind of wondering, you know, if I was actually a Republican and then uh, 2007, I was sitting in a bar and uh, having a drink and Ron Paul was on the TV, you know, and as a, a lot of people, my age and my generation, and even after me and before me will tell you uh, I'm a libertarian because of Ron Paul. I mean, that's just plain and simple. Ron Paul uh, stood up in front of Congress and, and told them exactly how much of psychopaths they were. Uh, you know, he was against all the wars completely. Um, he was against the, the war on drugs. He wanted to at least at, audit the Federal Reserve. I mean, there was a lot of really good talking points coming out from this guy. So I, I was hooked, man. And I, uh, I joined his campaign in 2007 uh, for the 2008 election. And I work my ass off in a place where they don't like liberty. You know, I'm from Oakland, California, man. Uh, it was it was a shot in the dark, and I had to work real hard. And um, and then again in 2012, when I was in the Occupy movements, trying to to stand for Ron Paul with the 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 lefties at the Occupy movements, um, you know. But but I after Ron Paul is when I really started getting into like Rothbard. I started I read For a New Liberty. It changed my life. 
uh, I started reading Hayek and um, Mises and, and this stuff just, it, it's, it's, you open a window that you just can't close. You know, it's, you can't ever look at, at, at central planning and, and the federal government, especially, um, you know, these, the, these insane taxes and these insane wars, you can't ever look at those in the same light again after you've read those books. And so um, in 2016, or actually 2015 or so, uh, I was living in Southern Washington and I, there was just no way I was gonna be a part of the Republican or the, or the Democrat parties, especially after watching what they did to Ron Paul. I mean, Ron Paul was probably the greatest politician I've ever seen in my life and I hate politicians, you know? And so um, after watching what the GOP did to him, I, there was no way I was gonna support the, the GOP anymore. And, uh, so I joined the Libertarian Party and then going into the 2016 election, I'm, I'm watching this chaos, this, this Donald Trump and, and Hillary Clinton. And I'm going, what the hell is going on here? Is this really the best the country has to offer? You know, and uh, so I went to a state convention in Washington. I, I hooked up with some friends there that were uh, working with the Libertarian Party. I went to this, my first state convention. And uh, funny enough, I was the only one that showed up from my region uh, to the state convention. And so, hey, guess what? You're the new region rep. And uh, <laughs> I was like, uh, can anybody tell me what a region rep is? Can you tell me what I'm supposed to be doing here? You know, um, and so essentially I, I went back to my region, which had five counties and only one county affiliate. And so I started working to build uh, affiliates. I mean, you know, and it's not, it's not easy work. You got to find people that are willing to run county affiliates. You got to find people that are, uh, you know, interested in libertarian policies that want to meet up for a drink at least once a month and, and, and talk about how they can uh, work towards winning elections with liberty-based policies and uh, initiative-based coalitions. And, um, and so I, you know, I started writing uh, county constitutions and, uh, bylaws and platforms for for these counties and you know i just started going to events and setting up a table and saying hey man i'm with the libertarian party of washington how you doing you know i had no idea what i was doing at all um and so it started working i mean we really started building some affiliates and um i was working on at this point i'm working on the gary johnson campaign as well and it, in fact at this at this point i was a nick sarwark fan man like i was yeah. i was i loved nick sarwark like he gave speeches that got me hyped on liberty i was like yes dude yes this guy's awesome but um, sometime around the end of that campaign, man, he, he just started attacking people that I, I mean, I, I really looked up to like Tom Woods, you know, Tom Woods yeah. is a, just a gentleman and a scholar, <laughs> you know, he's a, he's a sweetheart of a man uh, who's very smart and has brought more people to my ideology than just about anybody besides Ron Paul. And, uh, and so I, I started watching this stuff kind of happen and I'm going, what the hell is, what, is, what the hell is this? You know, and at, the, and at this time I was also working on Think Liberty. I was one of the founders of Think Liberty, if you know that publication. And we had about 12,000 daily followers. I mean, readers and, and uh, people who watch the podcasts and, and the videos and stuff. And um, I'm calling all these big name libertarians. I'm like, hey man, listen, this guy, Nick's gotta go. You know, it's, uh, I, need, I need you guys to run. Somebody's gotta run for chair. I mean, I, I can't run for national chair. I'm like a, you know, a, a maintenance man who runs a publication and works at the, the, the county level, you know? And everybody's like, no way, no way, dude. We're not running against Nick Sarwark. I mean, he's one of the, he's the most popular chair the party's ever had. You know, they're just coming off this election that had these, these great results. I mean, to the Libertarian Party, great results. Um, it, it just would be, it would be suicide. There's no way to do it. And I said, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to do it then. <laughs> you know, and, and everyone's like, you're crazy, man. Why would you do that? No one knows who you are. And so I was like, yeah, but like, I know how to do, I know how to do this. You know, I think I can do this. And so I put out an intent to run statement through Think Liberty, where all these followers were, where lots of people were already 
you know, in the Libertarian Party or going to be delegates to the Libertarian National right. Convention. And I never really expected that to be like this big, you know, profound thing that would change the course of the Libertarian Party. I just wanted it to be a challenge to current leadership that, hey, there's people out here that are not happy with the way this is being run. And I'm going to I'm going to be the voice for them, you know. Right. Um, but I ended up raising, you know, $15,000 and I, I traveled to 28 states and I, I keynoted a convention in, in Omaha, Nebraska behind Ron Paul, you know, right before dinner with Ron Paul. It was like my my liberty dreams had come full circle. You know, I'm now sitting at a dinner table with Ron Paul after just keynoting a 45 minute keynote speech. Listen, you don't want to hear me talk for 45 minutes, but it, it, it was all right. And um, and I'm just going, this is insane. And, and uh we can actually win this thing, you know, maybe we can win this. And I didn't, I didn't even get close. I mean, Nick beat me by like 200 and something about 300 and something votes. Right. But it kind of set this, this course in motion um, where, where it was like, okay, there's a big contention of people in this country that are libertarians and are embarrassed by the libertarian party. And now they have a voice on the, on the, on the national committee. Now they have somebody who is actually representing the, the, the dyed-in-the-wool, authentic, unapologetic libertarians. And that's exactly who I am. I mean, that's, you know, I, I don't apologize for, for saying libertarian things. I'm never going to apologize for saying libertarian things. So I got to work on the National Committee. I became the number one uh, fundraiser on the National Committee. I became the number one recruiter on the National Committee. In fact, for the longest time, I was the number one recruiter in the entire National Party, you know? And, and that's, that's with, out of 20,000 members, I know that uh, Tom Woods, eventually passed me and then dave smith has passed me now as well uh, but i'm still the third highest i'm still the third highest in the whole party so you know <laughs> and gosh, um, this was uh because in 18 when you lost you uh you ended up winning the right. position right, right? okay so yeah i ended up i ended up it? right yeah I, so so you have the opportunity if you lose a chair or vice chair or yeah. secretary or uh or treasurer um, election, you have the opportunity to uh, run for an at-large position, which is, there's five at-larges on the National Committee. And I, so I immediately did because I wanted to, I wanted my voice to be on the board. And I think there was other people who didn't vote for me for chair that were also like, you know, if you were an at-large, we'd vote for you because you do have a good solid, you know, yeah. um, uh, you just don't have the, the, the knowledge of the National Committee to be the chair yet, you know, right. and, and I got it. I understood like, you know, I, I was bummed out. I went back to my my uh, hotel in, in New Orleans and I, I laid down in bed and I called my mom and I was crying and I was like, man, you know, it, I just traveled for a year straight all over the country. I had uh, sacrificed personal relationships. I had sacrificed income. I had sacrificed a bunch of things to do this campaign. So when it was over, it was like, you know, I was sad, but at this, and, and, but also relieved that it was over. Yeah. Um, but I was crazy enough to do it again and, and yeah. for, the, for the 2020 <laughs> national convention. And, um, you know, so so uh, I, I spent my two years on the board and uh, I wasn't done. I just wasn't done. I wanted I still wanted that that platform. I nobody knew if Nick was going to run again. Uh, we knew JBH was probably going to run. There's some talks of some other big names running. And I was just like, you know what? I'm doing it, man, because I'm still that voice for, the, for those people. And we still have all now we have all those people in the party, you know. And so so I got to work on another campaign. I traveled to another, I don't know, 15 states before COVID shut us down. Um met the woman of my dreams on that campaign. We now have a baby, uh, you know? And, and so, um, again, I didn't win, but I, I came within like almost a hundred votes, you know, it was so it was very, very close. Uh, and, and truth be told, there's some, some weirdness involved in the numbers of the, of the chair and secretary election specifically. Uh, you know, there's some people on the LNC that think maybe it wasn't above board, but I, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to make any, 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna accuse anybody personally, but it definitely did seem a little weird that we went from about 600 and something votes on every motion to 900 and something votes in the chair election with a bunch of unvetted delegates. So I get it, but um, so so I decided. To, so I went back into my hotel room. I had myself a nice cry, you know, again, and uh, and uh, I was I was ready to give up, man. And and uh, they were getting ready to do the at large nominations, and I had. I don't know, probably 25 different people call me and said, Hey, we're nominating you for at large. I was like, all right, man, here I come. And I threw a suit on and I went running down the convention floor, you know, and, and, uh, I was not, I was the second highest vote getter for at large this, this time, uh, last time I think I was the fourth or fifth. Um, so that was, that was really cool. It was a good feeling to know that people still wanted me on the board and wanted me to do things. And then, you know, I just, I saw that a lot of people were going to start announcing early this time. I just knew it was going to happen. Um, and then my work wasn't done, man. You know, I, I wanted, I, I still want that platform. I, I think I still can do a very good job with that platform. I think, you know, I can bring the youth to the party. I know that I can, I can merge the libertarian movement with the libertarian party, which has been my goal from the beginning. You know, the libertarian movement is much, much bigger than the libertarian party. And, uh, you know, we have to have an unapologetic uh, libertarian chair that is going to bring those people to the movement through messaging. And I think I have what it takes to be that person. And, um, so I, I threw my name out there again. It'll probably be a, a little different this this time. This campaign will probably be a little different, um, you know, especially since we have two Mises Caucus members, um, you know, running for the, that chair that chair position, and that's fine. You know, I love Angela. No 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 love lost whatsoever. I, I'm a I'm a big Angela McArdle fan, and I always will be, um, and I'll never say a bad word about her. Um, so so it'll be a little different, but I'm still going to run, man, and and I'm still going to give. Uh, the opportunity to have that messaging on at, at the very head of the, the national committee. So. Yeah. Do you feel, um, do you feel like JBH or I should just make it open? And how do you feel JBH is doing so far? I think the messaging coming from JBH is garbage. I mean, okay. you know, um, I, I like, I like Joe as a, as a, as a person. I mean, I love him and Ethan a lot. Uh, we, we get along, I actually get along pretty great with Joe. It's not like, it's not like when I was on the board with Nick, you know, and, uh, Nick would just take a bunch of, um, backhanded shots at me everywhere we were at. He'd be talking smack about me. Even when we were on the board after the election was over, he'd still be doing this passive aggressive Nick snark work crap. And, uh, and Joe's not like that. Joe's a nice guy. Joe's got a good heart. Um, but I don't agree with the direction that he wants to take the party. I don't agree with his messaging goals at all. Um, almost, almost maybe 10%. Um, and, and so, you know, that's, that's the reason why I'm running. It's, it's not that I hate Joe, not, right. not like, it's like I said, it's not like how I feel about Nick Sarwark. I just, I just think that the party needs a direction that's going to bring unapologetic libertarians to the party. And I, and I offer that and Joe doesn't. So, yeah. um, and it, yeah. I think it's going to be interesting this time around because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I was involved in the last one watching you guys and, and you and Joe, behaved yourselves yes. pretty well um the folks around you maybe not so much no. <laughs> right <laughs> so, no. there's a lot but, of nasty uh, people in this party yeah, really but nasty you people. and joe behaved yourselves angela seems like i know her fairly well she seems like someone who's gonna behave themselves you know it seems like we're gonna have some some candidates that respect each other and, sure. and run a good race yeah i don't um, think it'll be dirty at all i don't think it'll be ugly joe Joe is not big on taking dirty shots at people. Right. You know, I've called Joe out publicly on things like on Twitter and stuff. And he's, he's, he's smacked back, but it was like, it was still a pretty civil conversation. It wasn't right. like, wasn't like where I go after Nick. Cause right. I go after Nick, you know? <laughs> and so um, it, it's a lot different with Joe. I, I like Joe a lot as a person. I really do. So. 
Yeah. I think that's the thing that unites all libertarians right now as they go after Nick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, you, 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 you can't really be like a, a true libertarian if you're not going after Nick Sarwark and his right. horrible, horrible messaging. So, <laughs> you think other people are going to jump into this thing? How many folks do you think are oh, going to yeah. end up taking people this? Always, people always do, man. I don't know how serious it'll be. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure that the. Um, I mean, I know for a fact that the Audacious Caucus and the Socialist Caucus combined will put put up a candidate. They always do. Like they had Mike Shipley last year. They had the absolute communist dickhead in uh, in 2018 uh, who who wore a Karl Marx shirt on stage. I mean, um, you know, they they they'll do it. There, people will jump in, um, and and there'll be some contenders. You know, it's it's just how it is. It's, you know, I I'm not worried about it though. I I think that when it, when it comes down to it, uh, the people that would vote for me or Angela, uh, if one of us were to, to not make it past the first ballot, we'll have no problem jumping on my, yeah. you know, my ticket or on Angela's ticket. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, truth be told, I'd, I'd love to work with Angela on the board. Angela's great. She's very, very, very organized. Um, you know, that's something that I can say. I've watched her work on the California board. She's very, very organized. She yeah. runs a good meeting. Um, so I, I'd be I'd be happy to work with her in any capacity, you know, whether that whether I'm the chair and she's the vice chair or I'm the vice chair and she's the chair, it doesn't matter to me. But this year I won't be running for at large again. I'll be running for chair or vice chair. <laughs> so, okay. yeah, that's that's where we're at. Good. And then, um, yeah, so I was looking back at the past elections. I might have these numbers wrong, but I think you were in the low 20s the first election and then low 40s the second election. Is that about right? It was like 40, 43.2% or something in, in, in 2020. And, and the cool double, thing about that, I thought, as I was doing a little research, was Hornberger, who obviously was our, you know, Mises candidate, um, was 23% in the first round. Sure, you know, sure. Now, he went up up a little bit, but never got anywhere near 43. So I thought that was interesting, um, that you you were dragging votes away from non-Mises corners. because. Sure going into the convention, you know, it was basically like, okay, Mises is going to vote for Mises and everyone else is going to vote against them and blah, blah, blah. And that was kind of the storyline. No, um, I got plenty of, I got plenty of friends and, and supporters that aren't Mises caucus. Too. Exactly. You yeah. know, and that, yeah, I well, think, I mean, just like I said in my promo video for you, I'm not Mises caucus, you know, I'm right. more left libertarian. I'm the most left libertarian person here right now. And I still voted for you, you know, well, you're a uniter it. for left and right. I always felt that way. So yeah, I think, I think that number showed I, that. I think there's some decent left libertarians out there like Kevin Shaw and you and, and, and a couple other people too, you know, uh, I just don't like communists. You know, that's, <laughs> I'm, I'm a staunch, staunch anti-communist. I mean, if you want to have your own little, private commune where you guys share things like cool man but uh these these state communists that that call themselves anarcho-communists or whatever i, I don't buy into it at all man i, I just don't but th like i said there's some good there's some good people and you know i i think that the term left and right gets thrown around kind of kind of crazily sometimes anyways i you know i don't think people understand sometimes that that's just an economic spectrum um i'm not saying that's you kev i'm, I'm just saying in general uh you know, so, so I don't pay too much mind to it, uh, unless, you know, they're, they're throwing up a hammer and sickle and, and talking about how they're going to put me up against the wall because I, I want freedom of economics. So, <laughs> yeah. What I think has been most interesting the last couple of elections is <clears throat> the percentage of people who are voting for the, you know, quote unquote, establishment candidate, that percentage has been dropping. Oh, right. sure. So yeah, regardless of Mises or radical or 
audacious even you know the the you know establishment candidate has done less and less which i think is interesting talk a little bit about what you see where you see the mises caucus going over the next two years and how that's going to affect this race oh man i think the i think the caucus is on a on a downhill a downhill snowball man i mean it's it's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and they're going to ram through that convention and you know, they, they more than doubled their efforts from 2018 to 2020. Uh, the, the, no one is recruiting like those guys. Uh, they're bringing true dyed-in-the-wool libertarians to the party. Uh, I, I'm super proud of Michael Heiss and what they've been able to do. Um, you know, just some of the greatest guys. I, I love I love everybody on that board, uh, like brothers. Absolutely, 100%, 100%. Michael and Jeff Douglas and Luke Enzer and all these guys. I mean, they're like brothers to me, and they have been, you know, and, and – uh, you know, I kind of, when, when Angela announced, I kind of, I kind of got like uh, a little jealous. I'm like, what's going on here? You know? Uh, but that, but I, I always love those guys. They, they've done a lot for me, man, a lot. And, and I feel like I, you know, I put my target on the, I, I put a target on my back for them for a long time and travel around the country and took the name of the caucus. And, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's a, a brotherhood and, and a friendship and bond that's just never going to break no matter what happens at a national convention no matter who wins uh, i'm always going to love those guys and, and they're going to be they're going to be the biggest entity in the libertarian party because they're unapologetic libertarians so yeah yeah no i agree um yeah and they've been they've been recruiting like crazy obviously you're one of the major recruiters but i think uh last i saw mike gave an update that they're bringing in something like seven thousand dollars a month now Oh, for the, for the caucus. Yeah. yeah. Oh, was, I, yeah, I no. haven't, I haven't, um, yeah, you know, you're more all, of a person recruiter, but <laughs> yeah, with, with all, with all the, the craziness that's been going on with my life with the, the family and stuff, yeah. I, I just didn't have time to invest, um, in the caucus. Like I did the years before I felt really bad. Um, and, and that's a conversation I need to have with Michael and, and kind of figure things out. Um, but like I said, I also got booted off Facebook in October for good. Uh, oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They they gave me the perma ban. Um, I I even tried to start a new profile and they kicked me within 24 hours because of my IP address. So I'm gone. Facebook does not want me on their platform anymore. So it's you, you know that was kind of up here one thing in common. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know, right? Uh, that's you know, it's it was where I I really it's where I really corresponded with a lot of people, especially the Mississauga. So it's it's kind of sucks. Uh, yeah. I got I to gotta do things old fashioned way with phone now. So, <laughs> or, or you can follow me on Twitter because that's where I have the most fun anyways. So. There you go. I know Twitter. <laughs> that's the only place I, I play. Sure, um, sure. Talk a little bit about your family. I know that was uh, an issue in the last two elections. I know things have, um, have, were, you know, you'll talk, but things are, are, were never as bad as they <laughs> seemed like they were. And now they're even better. So talk about where you were and where you're going. Well, I mean, just to be completely frank with you, there's a lot of dickheads in this party um, <laughs> and, and people, you know, people didn't like me because especially my first run, my first national chairman run, I, you know, I came on the scene going, hey, uh, we're not going to play with you guys anymore. We're going to do this thing over here. And people were upset. They thought I wanted to purge people. It wasn't really my my intention, um, but I became that purge candidate. And so a lot of people, you know, took offense to that and started going after me. Um, but they took it to a whole nother level. They started attacking the fact that my children didn't live with me full time, um, that I had some arrears in child support, which I mean, this is literally the story of men all across the country. Uh, the family law system is probably the most corrupt uh, scam ever created in this country. And 
for libertarians to be using that to trash uh, a candidate is pretty is pretty low. But um, since since all this has happened, and, and you know, if you followed my race in, in 2020, uh, some really shitty people uh, were able to reach out to my 16 year old daughter who was in a very bad position, a very bad place at the time with her two little siblings and a mother who was not doing very well. Um, and they were able to bribe her to make a public statement about me in an adult LP group um, with a phone. Um, and, and if they're watching, okay, groomer. Uh, and so, um, you know, that was really bad. It actually happened. They actually did this during the national convention while I was in Florida. And uh, I went up to my hotel room. I was going to quit. I was going to leave, man. It, 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 you know, I had, I had been dealing with this for three years. Uh, they had gone after my grandmother. Uh, my 75-year-old grandmother, just a month after my grandfather passed away in my first campaign, uh, they've gone after my kids, they've gone after my mother, you know, I've watched my family members cry to me, ask me to please stop doing this. Um, it was, it, it was kind of, I was at the convention and I was like, dude, that's it. I just can't, you know, this is, they've now driven a wedge between me and my daughter who already had a shaky relationship, who I've been trying to build a relationship with for six years. Um, who had been disappearing on and off with her mother. And it was, it was really hard for me to deal with that outside of having politics drag it into the public, you know? And so, um, but after the convention happened, uh, some, some things fell in place and I, I finally was able uh, to get full custody of my daughter, my 16 year old daughter who now lives with me full time. Um, and, and the, the really cool part was she has the, like I said, she had the two siblings that are six and nine, um, that are not mine biologically. And we were able to get guardianship of them too and, and keep them all together instead of having to split up and go to foster care. So, um, you know, for any of the dickheads that are watching, uh, fuck you. Um, I don't know if they'll probably edit that out. You guys edit that out. Nope. Uh, no, we don't edit anything. Good. Uh, I, I hope, I hope that you guys feel, um, some of the pain that I've had to feel over the last four years dealing with this outside of your, your assholishness. Um, and I hope that these people feel really bad for using a very bad situation that a 16 year old girl was in uh, for their own political gain. That's not good people. Those are bad people. Those are the people, those are the kind of people that should be shunned from this party permanently forever. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's where we're at now. And, and then we just had the baby. Uh, my girlfriend has two kids already. So I, if you're following along last March, uh, I was a, a single guy living with my best friend in a three bedroom house. Uh, and we cleaned it up before parties this March. I will be, uh, with my girlfriend and our six children and my first grandchild. Okay. So that's, if you're counting, that's seven children i went i you know my girlfriend told me when i met her she said hey i just got to warn you i want 10 kids i said let me give you seven in a year how about that um so so yeah my, and so when we were driving down to arkansas to pick up my daughter we found out that she was four months pregnant literally on the way to pick her up and so uh in march my, my granddaughter will be born and i will be a 37 or 38 year old grandfather so it's gonna be gonna be interesting but um, it's great, man. It's beautiful. I, it's all I ever wanted in my life was to be a family man. And, and now I, I have this big, beautiful family and we got to spend Christmas together and um, we got to spend Thanksgiving together. And it's, it's really, it's, it's um, cathartic. I mean, it just feels, it feels really good. You know, after all the shit that I've been through uh, to try and be a father, I actually get to, I get that sweet, like victory at the end and, and I get to be the dad that I've always known I could be. And so, um, yeah, for the people that are watching, I hope I hope it burns you up. I hope it hurts you really bad and you can't ever sleep at night.
well, congratulations on, on the kid and the coming grandkid and all of the other children that have joined you over the last year. That's fantastic. I have four children. Uh, it's an awesome, awesome feeling. I did it over eight years or six years, which I thought was really fast, but sure. apparently you you destroyed me. Well, <laughs> like, well you know, my, my daughter's 16. It's like, you know, and I was with her for a long time before they disappeared. Yeah. And then I, I've been, you know, with her for a long time since, but it was shaky because, you know, you can't, can't be apart for that long and not kind of have this shaky thing. Sure. And, um, it's just really disgusting for people in this party to, to use yeah. that situation to their own benefit. So, uh, but I'm glad it turned out good. And, and uh, again, I hope it burns you up at night, keeps you from sleeping every night. Where are you guys living now? Oh, I moved to Iowa, man. Uh, you know the the, the warm, sunny beaches of Iowa. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'm from California, born and raised, man. And so, so I, I moved to Iowa in March. So it was like the beginning of spring in, in in the Midwest. And I'm like, oh, this isn't so bad. You know, it's a little cold. It's like forty something, forty five degrees, fifty degrees outside. I'm like, oh, I could probably handle this. And my girlfriend's like, just just listen, listen, just wait till October. And I'm like, October, it's still sunny where I'm from in October. You know, she's like, oh no, that's when we'll get our first snow. Don't worry. You know, that's the first freeze. And I'm like, huh? And uh, since then I've now felt negative temperatures, which I've, you know, the coldest I had ever felt prior to that was 12 degrees. And I thought I was going to die. Um, but let me tell you, negative 16 is a whole new level of cold. Um, when you feel the nose hairs in your nose start to freeze and your the liquid in your eyeballs start to freeze, uh, it, you, you know, you're not, you're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. And it was, uh, or maybe you are in Kansas. I don't know, but it's, uh, it, it was rough, man. I, you know, but I'm, I'm used to it now. And we've had a couple of really big snows, um, you know, over a foot of snow and this and that. And it, the funny thing is, so I, I work in, uh, um, critical facilities, right? So I, I actually run all the equipment that keeps a big financial data center, uh, up and going 24 hours a day. And so like, I have to go to work. Like there's, I'm the only person on shift for 12 hours watching this equipment. Right. And so like, you can't, you can't miss work. And uh, so we went to sleep one night. It was really cold. It was probably, you know, 25, 22 degrees or something. To me, that's the end of the world. But um, we woke up to like eight and a half inches of snow. You know, we got, a, we, we went out and bought a nice Dodge Caravan minivan, you know, cause we got all these kids and now they don't even fit in the van anymore. But, um, and I, and I walk out to the, to the van and I walk back in. And, and Julia's like, what's wrong? Cause I'm like stomping around. I'm like, Oh God. Oh, Oh, what do I do? You know? And she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, there's no way I can get to work. We're, we're snowed in, you know, <laughs> like there's no way we're going to get this thing. And she's like, get out of my way. And she like hopped in the van and just backed right out of the driveway. And I was like, how, how are you doing this? What kind of, what kind of black magic is this? You know? And so she drove me right to work in the snow. And now, now I'm getting better at it, but I just had never had to deal with that before. And, um, so it, it was, it was a little alarming. I was like, that's a lot of snow, man. She's like, that's nothing. That's like a light dusting. <laughs> like, I was like, it's coming up to my, past my ankles. It's not a light dusting, you know? Yeah. I remember seeing your TikTok videos about it. They were hilarious. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I did the, the, uh, with the Alexis on fire. I can't believe this is yeah. where I live. And yeah. it's like, I was just like, what do I, oh my God, what am I going to do? It's so cold. I have to wear like four jackets every day, you know? And, uh, but it's, it, you know, I, I actually, I actually have come to, to love the Midwest very much. Um, the people here are great. Uh, there's no shortage of ranch dressing. Uh, you know, uh, it's a little cold, but it's cheap. It's very, very cheap. There's a trade-off there. You That's see, right. it's not even a quarter of the cost of living of where I was living before I moved here. And I make more money here. So yeah. 
Uh, it's like I'm rich now, you know. Uh, I went I went from I went from being like you know lower 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 class in California on a good salary to to being like upper middle class in the Midwest. So I enjoy it. Kevin recently moved uh, briefly from Oklahoma to Montana. I had a similar weather experience. Now he's back in Oklahoma. <laughs> you yeah. guys get pretty cold in Oklahoma, though, right? Uh, some parts of it will get, you know, like if you get up into like the panhandle, it can get down to like 10 or something. But oh. no. I, say, I say no, because I'm a Michigan boy. I mean, sure. You know, like I remember being negative 18 and I went out to do the driveway one time and I came back in and my hat had flipped up over my ear and I literally took an ice cube off of my ear that was the shape of my ear yep. <laughs> and put it on the table. <laughs> That's how it is here in Iowa too. I mean, I, you know, I... I mean, Michigan weather is probably pretty comparable to Iowa yeah. in the winter. Yeah. It's, I had no idea that Iowa was this cold. You know, yeah. I was like, I was like, it's the middle of the country. But really, if you look at it, it's, it's almost Minnesota. So it's pretty damn cold. And, uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting more used to it now. I, I went out, I went out, uh, still dirty smoke, cigarette smoker. I'm trying to quit, but I went out back to have a cigarette uh one day and i was like the sun was out and i was like oh it's a lot warmer and i was in shorts i had a hoodie on and shorts and i'm sitting there having a cigarette and i'm like man it's much warmer today and i look and it's like 13 degrees and i'm like oh, oh i am being assimilated i am being yeah. assimilated so i had that i had that experience uh shoot maybe like six weeks ago it, it was like <clears throat> i was taking the trash out and like moving some stuff around and i was like man i gotta take off my jacket it's getting hot took it off and i'm in like a t-shirt and I'm going along and one of my friends calls me and he's like, hey, how cold is there? He's like, you know what? I don't know. And I look and it's four degrees. And I was like, what is going on right now? You're being assimilated, man. You are yeah. being assimilated. It's exactly what happens. And, you know, when, when I first started here, my boss, he's this big burly guy. He's a couple, like two years younger than me. Big burly guy named Abraham, right? And, uh, and he's, like, he's like, oh, man, I can't wait for the wintertime. I cannot. I'm going to. He's like, I'm going to set up like a deer tent in front of the, in front of the job and wait for you to walk in from the car every morning. I cannot wait, you know? He's like, but don't worry, you'll get used to it after a while. You'll start, you'll, you know, you'll start wearing hoodies on days that are like negative 15 or whatever. And I have, I absolutely have. And so he was right. But the, the first month of this, I mean, um, November and, and December were, were really rough. But the, the end of December, I started getting used to it. Now, January apparently is the worst month and I don't even notice it anymore, so. Well, let's swing back to the campaign. What's this uh, 2022 campaign going to look like for you, assuming COVID calms down a little bit and you can actually travel? What are your thoughts? Uh, so that's actually one of the perks of now living in Iowa in the Midwest is I can drive yeah. almost, I think everyone in the Midwest drives everywhere. They don't fly anywhere. <laughs> they just drive. I mean, the Des Moines airport is dead all the time. You know, people are like, dude, I live in Iowa. I can drive to Minnesota, Nebraska. Uh, you know, Kansas City, uh, Missouri, Arkansas. I mean, you can get anywhere within 10 hours, anywhere. Uh, so, so yeah, I'll probably, you know, I still want to go to some conventions. I don't know that I'll be able to travel, uh, you know, to, to 20 states like I, I have in the past. Um, but I, I'm definitely going to, I'm definitely going to put some travel on, you know, some miles on the road and, and get to some conventions. I know I'm already getting booked in Missouri and uh, probably some others will, will be happy to have me come and speak. And, um, I'm, I'm willing, you know, I, I've always been willing to come and speak to libertarians. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm definitely going to do some traveling. Uh, I'm definitely going to keep laying out focus messaging goals and, and, and a plan for the party. You know, my blueprint has not changed. I still think that, you know, 
what I've been talking about for the last four years, mostly uh, is, is the direction that will take this party into a, an era that sees success. And so and remind keep, people, remind people what that platform looked like, just in case. Well, it's focus messaging goals, uh, a, a much bigger uh, focus on recruiting, uh, retention and, and fundraising, you know, um, and, and the party's kind of moved in a more fundraising centric direction too. Uh, you know, adding a, a director of development and a fundraising team and stuff, stuff they've never had in the past. And I like to think that, you know, my voice pushing, pushing, pushing had something to do with that. Um, but the, the focus messaging goals, you know, to me has to be number one. Um, that's how, that's going to be our biggest recruiting tool is a, is a party that messages, you know, we, we just spent all of 2020 literally with tyranny on a silver platter and we yeah. didn't, we were silent about it. I mean, we were, the chair was silent about it. The party didn't craft any messaging. Any messaging that was crafted was pushed aside. I mean, we had mass mandates and lockdowns and people losing their businesses and all over a virus with a 99.98% survivability rate. Why were we quiet about that? You know, and so um, the chair has the opportunity to, to really take the reins on the messaging. Um, you know, I, I, think I'm a, I think I'm a voice that will get asked back to Kennedy, uh, that will get asked back to the Judge, uh, judge Knapp show, will get asked back to things like, like uh, Morning Joe. You know, I think I, I have that, that personality to get that done, but the messaging has to be at the forefront of everything we do. And we've just failed over and over and over again. Um, and also I want to see more, you know, I, I, I've held true to this. I, and I've, I've actually like walked the walk with helping campaigns. I want, I want a party that helps with the campaigns more. I want tools built, um, you know, centralized. I know I don't like the word either, but centralized tools built to help campaigns, to help campaign managers and and uh, finance managers and, and uh, you know, the, the candidate themselves, how to build a campaign plan, you know, messaging points, stuff like that. It's all stuff that we should have been doing for a long time. And so um, thankfully I, I worked with some great people on the affiliate support committee for my first term who really taught me how we could go about doing those things. And so, I mean, like I said, the blueprint's the same, dude, it's, it's gonna be the same. And, um, but I'm just gonna fight a little bit harder every time they, they reject me, so. <laughs> Well, good. So what else is going on? What else do you have planned is, uh, after 2022? Anything special for Josh? We're going to see a president, Josh. We're going to see a senator, Josh. I, I you know, I've, <laughs> so during my campaign in 2020, I had uh, no less than 50 people say, hey, you got to run for president. You got to run for president. <laughs> and I'm going, man, are you serious? Do you hate me? Do you hate me that much that you want me to run for president? So, so now you want to you want me to take this shit show on the road outside of the Libertarian Party and have the entire nation calling me all these names? Okay, I see how I see how you feel about me. No, I, uh, you know, I've 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 joked around about running for vice president in 2024. Um, uh, you know, if if nobody else steps up to do it, it and and someone like Dave Smith and, or somebody's running for president. Uh, you could see a Smith Smith ticket in 2024, maybe. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, you know, but I, you know, I, I think there's better people than me, much better people with more resources than me to do that kind of stuff. Um, I, I, I do know that for sure in 2024, I'd like to run for something publicly. Um, and and I, I, I'm going to leave the state and, and local stuff to other people. I know that I should probably run for that first, but probably probably a congressional race of, of some sort or something uh, along those lines. So, um, but, you know, like I said, if I, if I'm not happy with the vice presidential candidates in 2024, I'm coming for you, I'm coming for you. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Kevin. You got anything? 
I don't, man. Thanks so much for coming on, Josh. It's always a pleasure. Dude, I love you. Definitely, definitely love have you back on throughout the campaign. Anytime, man. I, I'd, I'd love to come on anytime. I love, you know, I'm a big fan of both you guys, man. So especially I, I love how you guys took your graphics from Boss Baby. I know what that is now because I have yeah. these children. Uh, <laughs> and so so I'm a, bi- I'm a big fan. I like the show. I like you guys as humans. Uh, thank you for having me on. And tell your viewers to follow me on Twitter. Okay. That's where I go f- directly for the jugular of a cowardice society every day. So, so definitely follow me on Twitter at, at Joshua at large. We'll have some fun. That's awesome. Everybody go follow Josh. He's great. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks. Thanks Josh.